You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Amen, church. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's stay standing as we continue to worship. Just think about that last line that we heard. For the Lord our God Almighty reigns. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you this morning that you are on the throne, that you rule over everything, Lord, that you are sovereign and in control and there is no one like you. God, we thank you that even though the world is often in an uproar and in turmoil and chaos abounds throughout this world, we can stand here this morning knowing that you alone are in control ultimately, Lord, and that you are good and that your grace and mercy is accessible to us today through Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. And Father, we praise you this morning for what we've already heard We praise you this morning, Lord, for the baptisms that took place and the testimonies that were shared this morning, Lord, to hear how you work in individual lives to draw people from the darkness, to draw people out of chaos, and to raise them to walk in the newness of life. Thank you for how encouraging that is, Lord. Thank you for giving your only son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place, that by faith in him we can be saved to walk in the newness of life. We praise you in the name of Jesus, our Lord, and we say amen in that name. Amen. Amen, church. Go ahead and have a seat this morning. Well, it's a joy to be able to open God's word again with you this week as we continue on in uh, part two of our little mini-series called Commissioned by the King. And uh, for those of you that I don't know, my name is Brett Patterson, and I'm the pastor of discipleship here at Harvest Niagara. And it's a joy to be able to share God's word with you today. Uh, If you have a copy of the Bible, God's word in your hand, uh, open it up right now to Matthew 28. We're going to be here in Matthew 28 again this week. If you don't have a copy of God's word, put your hand up nice and high and keep it up for a minute. We've got some ushers that are coming down the aisle. They're eager to get you a copy of God's word. So put those hands up nice and high if you don't have one. And we would love for you, if you don't have a copy of the Bible at home, we would love for you to take this with you and keep it. Okay? We, we tell you often it's not stealing. It's not stealing. We're giving it to you, okay? So take it, read it, and be blessed as you read what God has done throughout history and particularly what he has done through his son, Jesus Christ. So this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28. And while you're turning there, I just want to share with you uh, a little story from history that is, that is very true and probably quite familiar to most of us. We've started into this uh, series, a two-part series, called Commissioned by the King. And last week, we talked heavily about the fact that as believers in Jesus Christ, we have been commissioned and sent out by the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ himself. And not only have we been sent out, but we have been sent out, not to go alone, but we have been sent out in his power and his personal presence going with us. I want you to, as you think about that, and as you remember last week's message, I want you just to consider this story that happened over 50 years ago. On January 8th, 1956, five missionaries from America attempted to reach the Aka people in Ecuador. This mission was known as Operation Aka, and on that day, 
Jim Elliott, you'll recognize that name probably. Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Ed McCulley, Peter Fleming, and Roger Udarian were murdered on the bank of the river by the people that they were trying to reach. I want you just to consider that for a moment. Consider that five men in the prime of their life, five men that that were excelling as they went through college and university, these five men went to this group of people that had never been reached with the gospel, and they went and they they did all of their research, they did everything that they needed to do, they tried to drop gifts over a period of time, but on the day that they landed to make contact with them, died. Now, the world would look at that as a tragedy. And and we as believers do see it as a tragedy, but at the same time, we realize that there is something bigger, something deeper happening here. As believers, we should not only see that as a tragedy in one sense, we should see that as something that we admire, something that we stand in awe of, the fact that these men would go across the world, that they would go on a mission, not sent by any missions organization in particular, yes, but sent by the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and they would go with the message of the gospel of eternal life to a people that apart from this word of God, the message of Jesus Christ, his salvation would perish in hell for all of eternity. And so as You know, believers, on one hand, we should see that there's a sense of tragedy. There should be a sense of sorrow that fills our heart as we hear about Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and Ed Udarian and Peter Fleming and Ed McCulley. As we hear about what happened with these men there, there should also be something that that wells up within us that says, wow, wow. I can't believe the courage, the boldness of these men. I can't believe the conviction of these men that they would go into a situation knowing that this was a hostile tribe, that they would go willingly knowing that their lives may be on the line. I can't believe it, but I need to believe it because Jesus Christ has sent me on a mission also. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, if we're here this morning and we are believers in Christ, we have been commissioned by the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And we must go to make disciples. This morning, we're going to unpack what that looks like for us in our context. We're going to kind of break things down bit by bit as we walk through the Great Commission. We're going to focus in on the particular commands and the order of the commands that have been given by the King Jesus to us. And we are going to try to make sense of what this looks like in our world, in our culture, in our region today. I hope we're ready to do that. I hope you're with me in Matthew chapter 28. We're going to read through the Great Commission again. But before we do that this morning, I I really just want to focus in on this one thought that kind of sums up everything to this point and also works as a lens for us to view the rest of this message. Let's focus in on this one thought. It's going to come up on the screen right now. As a commissioned follower of King Jesus... That's what we are if we're believers in Christ. If you know the mercy of Jesus Christ, if you've received him as your Lord and your Savior, then you are a commissioned follower of Jesus Christ, of the King of Kings, as a commissioned follower of King Jesus. What is precious to him will be precious to me. Let's get that. Let's get that more than just in our notes. Let's get that in our hearts this morning. As a commissioned follower of King Jesus, what's precious to my King Jesus 
As I walk with him, as I grow to know him more, as I love him more, as I follow him more, what is precious to him will become what is precious to me. We'll grow in that bit by bit. And maybe you've sensed that in your own Christian walk as you've walked with Christ. And you could ask some of the old saints in this room that have walked with Christ many, many years and could tell you that the more that they've walked with Jesus, the closer that they've walked with him, they've come to know what is precious to him becomes precious to them. Listen, as we talk about discipleship this morning, discipleship is precious to Jesus Christ. It's precious to him. It's, it's one of the biggest things on his heart. It's one of the, the most important things in his agenda. In fact, it's the last thing that he gives his disciples to do before he ascended into heaven. That's really important, isn't it? And what is precious to my King Jesus will become more and more precious to me as I walk with him. And so let's keep that in mind as we read this morning the words of the Great Commission and as we look at what we have here in front of us. Let's, let's just read together. I'll read out loud. You just read along in your own copy of God's word. We'll start at verse 18, Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, Now, the them that he said this to is the 11 disciples that are with him. Judas, who had betrayed him, had committed suicide already. And so Jesus came and said to them, he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's an amazing, remarkable, and true statement. We focused on that last week. We won't say a lot about it this week. But what Jesus is simply saying there is that he has all power in this entire universe. It belongs to him. And then based on that, verse 19, he says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, And then this amazing promise, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Isn't that amazing? Jesus calls us, he calls each one of us, if we are believers in Christ, if we know him as our Lord, he calls us to make disciples. That's what the Great Commission is. The Great Commission is really all about making disciples. Here's the first thing that we're going to see this morning. As a commissioned follower of King Jesus, what is precious to him will be precious to me. And then this, therefore, I will gladly go where he sends me. Listen, if if we come to a place where what is precious to Jesus is precious to us, we will gladly go. We will gladly go wherever he sends us. Now, for most of us, God has sent us to Niagara. If we live here in this region right now, we have been commissioned to this area right now. Now, is it possible that That the Lord may call some of us overseas, long term, possibly, wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be amazing if we had some, you know, young missionaries or old missionaries in this room right now? One of the most incredible things that I think is one of the greatest miracles of faith today is when a person retires from their 30 plus years at whatever job they worked at and they said, I want to go on my mission for Jesus now. I retired from that job, but I'm not retired. I'm not, you know, giving up before I go to meet the king, I wanna go and I wanna serve him while I still have life in my body. How awesome is that? 
So maybe, we've gonna, maybe we're going to have some retired older missionaries. Can I say old? Okay. I know I'm supposed to refer to older people as people in their twilight or their, their graying years. Okay. I don't. You're old. Okay. I'm old. Don't look at me. I'm bald. All right. Okay. I'm getting old. All right. Okay. So it's a reality is what it is. So, but wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it be awesome if we had some older missionaries who said, I want to go. I want to go to Northern Ontario where there are tribes of, of Aboriginal people that are unreached with the gospel yet. I want to go to Quebec. I want to go overseas. Wouldn't that be awesome? Listen, we're all, we're all called to go. Whether we go globally or whether we go locally, we are called to go. Most of us will not go globally long term. Okay, that's just a fact. Most of us, though, will seek to have some mission influence here within our area in Niagara. We may go globally short term, but maybe not long term. But listen, here's the fact that we need to get this morning. Each one of us is called to go. We're called to go. Do we see that right in the Great Commission? Jesus calls his disciples together, and he tells them that he has all authority, all power in heaven and on earth, and then he says this word, go therefore. Listen, little clue about reading the Bible. When you see a therefore, you always have to ask what? What it's there for, okay? Okay, why is the therefore therefore, okay? Why is it there? Well, Jesus is saying, based on the fact that I, okay, Jesus has all power, all authority in this universe, go therefore. Don't be afraid. Go out into the world. Go out with the message that I have given you. Go therefore. We must go. We must kind of get over this idea that we often have, especially in the church, this idea of compartments to life, okay? This idea of, well, some things are sacred, and then some things are secular. Now, we all think this way, so don't look at me funny like you don't know what I'm talking about, okay? We, we tend to think this way. We tend to think in compartments. We tend to think, okay, Sunday morning, that's Jesus's day, Okay, mornings while I have my coffee and read my Bible, that's Jesus' time. On my drive to work while I, I say a little prayer, that's Jesus' time too. But when I get to work, okay, that's, that's, that's my work time. And then when I get home, that's my me time, okay? We tend to break things up into compartments in our lives, don't we? Just me, all right, okay. So I struggle with this. Uh, you guys don't, so awesome. So this is for me right now. No, we do, okay? We break things up into compartments and we think, okay, this is my, my Christian compartment. This is my life in the world compartment. Okay, that doesn't exist. Compartments don't exist. Okay, according to the Great Commission, they don't exist because Jesus says right here, all authority in heaven and on earth over all things, every compartment of my life, your life, has been given to me. Go therefore. Go therefore and make disciples in every sphere, in every compartment of your life if you want to break it up that way. The mission is the same in every compartment. It is to go and to make disciples. I love how Abraham Kuyper said this. He said this, he said, there's not a square inch, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Do we get that? Jesus says, mine over everything, okay? Jesus says, mine over your church time. He says, mine over your work time. He says, mine over your family time. He says, mine over your me time. He says, mine 
over it. It's mine. It belongs to me. You are my disciple. And I want to use you for my glory. And I want to be magnified in your life. And I want to give you joy while you do it. How awesome is that? I will gladly go where the Lord sends me to go. I will gladly go and make disciples for the King of Kings. Listen, we've been called to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ if we're believers in him. We've been called to live out the mission of God, which is the gospel, in every single area of life. Listen, we need to understand that the gospel is not just four spiritual laws, okay? It's, it's more than that. The gospel is expansive. There are gospel implications for every single area of life. Do we get that this morning? Do we get that the gospel has application for my work life. The gospel has application for my home life. For example, the gospel has application for my work life because Jesus Christ is my savior, because he has redeemed me and called me to labor for his glory. Therefore, I will serve at my place of employment. I will pour myself out there. I will work harder than anyone who doesn't know the Lord, and I will show the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ while I'm there. And should God give me an opportunity to share about his name in that place, I will do it. Listen to that. What an implication that the gospel affects our work lives in that way. What about our home lives? The gospel transforms the way that we live in marriage relationships. The gospel transforms that, meaning that, that husbands don't, don't rule over their wives with oppressive authority, but they love their wives as Christ loved the church. The gospel also means that, that wives don't try to come around and sneak around behind their husband and, you know, be, the, be maybe the neck that turns the head, as we have heard said before. They, they don't do that, but they, they gladly, joyfully submit to their husband and serve and yield together. It has application for parents, how you raise your children. You raise your children to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Listen, you can work out more applications, but the gospel applies to every area of life. We need to get this this morning. I honestly think this is probably the biggest disconnect in the North American church about discipleship. We live with compartments. We live with the sacred and the secular, and we somehow don't try not to allow the two to really mix and match, and we miss our opportunities to live for the glory of Christ where he has planted us today. And So let me just say this. If you're here this morning, if you live in Niagara this morning or wherever you live, doesn't matter where you live this morning. If you're from outside of Niagara, we're so glad you're here today. But listen, wherever you live right now, God has planted you there. He has called you there. He has sent you on mission in that place and he wants to be magnified in your life there in that place as you make disciples. And he may call you somewhere else. But listen, when he does, he will make that abundantly clear. So for the time being, right where God has you right now, that is the mission field that he wants you on at this time in your life. If we get that, if we believe that, if we press into that, that begins to change the way that we think about discipleship, doesn't it? That, wow, I'm called to make disciples in my family, in my home. I'm called to make disciples in my workplace. Let's take a look at this for, sec for a second. We'll bring it up on the screen here. Circles of discipleship relationships or responsibilities. Let's bring that up. Um, the first is our family. If God has blessed you to give you a family, okay, children, and then extended family beyond that, the first 
circle, and these are just going to be circles that build out from there, and you've probably seen something like this before. It's not earth-shattering. It's not new, okay? Okay, it's pretty simple, right? But it's good for us to remember and get. The first circle of responsibility for us to disciple is our family, our children, our spouse, okay? That is the first circle. The second circle, we could say, would be our, our small group, Okay, or the people that we serve with in the church. These are the people that we're close to, that we do life with, and that we have been called and commissioned to be a part of their discipleship. All right, the next circle, the next circle I would say would be our friends and coworkers. You spend a lot of time with your coworkers in a week, don't you? It's, it's kind of funny how, you know, the more time that you spend with your coworkers, the more that you get to know them, and the more that they actually invite you into their life. Right? So friends and co-workers, we have a level of discipleship with. And then beyond that, the next circle would be what I would kind of call Facebook-type friends. Okay? They're not really your friend because you maybe only never see them once a year. Maybe never at all. Okay? You message them once in a while. And if you have a lot of Facebook friends and you're like, they're really my friends, okay, you have better Facebook relationships than I do then, obviously, okay, I'm not trying to insult you this morning. Um, my Facebook friends, they're my friends, but they're, they're kind of friends at a distance and I have interaction with them from time to time, some not as much as others. But listen, God has given me an opportunity, he's given you an opportunity to have an impact on these lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ and to some measure, a smaller measure, yes, to disciple them in some way. And then we can expand beyond this to the Niagara region, okay, to the region as a whole. And so maybe, you know, this involves going on some outreach here in Niagara when we have the opportunity. And then beyond that, the next circle, I would say, would be to Canada and to all nations in the world. Okay, let's just kind of leave these up on the screen, but let's kind of just work these backwards. Canada and all nations, okay? How often would we go as disciples of Christ? How often would we go to all of Canada on a missions trip or to another nation in the world? Maybe once a year, short-term trip. Maybe, you know, twice a year if we're pretty active and have the time and availability to do that. Okay, so a couple times a year. The Niagara region, what would that look like? Maybe four, five, six, maybe ten times a year. I love that our GO teams go out into Niagara with the gospel of Christ basically every Friday. Every Friday, isn't that amazing? You could jump in with one of our GO teams and have the opportunity to go and begin the discipleship process with somebody as you engage them on the streets of St. Catharines or somewhere else in Niagara. Facebook friends. Okay, what does this look like? So Niagara region, we're, we're going a few times a year, four or five. Facebook type friends, you're maybe reaching out to them. I don't know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times a year. Some of you are like every single day, okay? Yes, you're ambitious on Facebook. There we go. All right, okay? Most of the time, and, and I'm not just talking a general post. I'm talking maybe an actual message to them or, you know, Facebook-type friends. That distant friend that you email a few times a year or get on the phone and reach out to them. Okay, then the next circle, inside that, friends and coworkers. How often do we have opportunity with our friends and coworkers? So often, don't we? So often, every day to a certain degree, to a certain measure, our small group, okay, our small group, lots of opportunity. We meet in our small groups once every week, once every two weeks, but a lot of our small groups connect daily on different messaging systems where they can encourage one another, where they can build one another up. Let's not forget about it. That is discipleship, okay? That's discipleship. It's important in our families every day. Every day we have an opportunity 
We have an opportunity to disciple those in our families. Okay, this is just a real quick picture as we look at this of what it actually means to go and to make disciples. It's just kind of a pattern of what this would actually look like. But listen, this morning, I want us to remember something. There's a verse of scripture found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 31 through 33. We need to remember that when Jesus calls us to go and make disciples, he doesn't call us to have a discipleship category or compartment to our life. He calls all of our lives to be about discipleship. Look at what this verse says. I've kind of pared it down a little bit. You could read the full thing if you went back to 1 Corinthians. But Paul, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, and get, and get this, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, okay, we put it in, in all uppercase so that we would see it. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do in any area of your life, do all to the glory of Christ. Paul goes on to explain in the next verse what this looks like for him in his particular circumstance. And then he says this, he says that not seeking my own advantage, so Paul didn't seek his own advantage, but that of the many that they might be saved. Listen, the Apostle Paul got this. We see a great example of what it looks like to have a life that is on mission for Jesus Christ in his life throughout the book of Acts and in the epistles. And Paul said, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of Christ. Don't do it to seek your own advantage, but do it that many might be saved. What Paul is saying here is he's saying, hey, listen, there's things that I do and things that I don't do. Why? So that people will hear the gospel of Christ. Just think about that for a second. Right now, in your life, as you seek to make disciples, are people seeing and hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ? Both of those components are important. They need to see evidence of your faith in your life. If they don't see that and you're just preaching a message at them over and over and over and they don't see any evidence, they're going to write you off as a hypocrite. But listen, if, if they're seeing evidence but you're not giving a reason for the hope that is in you, they're just going to think that you're a good person. They're going to miss the mark. We've all heard that quote apparently by St. Francis of Assisi that says, preach always and if necessary, use words. Well, that's one of my favorites because it's ironic First of all, St. Francis never said that. He didn't. Nowhere in history. In fact, if you go back and you actually look at some of his sermons, his message was quite the opposite. It was live your life with all boldness for Jesus Christ and proclaim his name. Listen, if we are going to live a life that preaches Jesus Christ, we must also speak of Jesus Christ. We can't hide our light under a bushel. When we live our lives in society for the glory of Christ, we should then take the opportunity to tell people about Christ. Isn't it awesome how Peter says that we should always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in us? Meaning that if we live in such a way, people should begin to ask, hey, what's the reason for the hope that's in you? But if they don't ask, I'm just going to say that Jesus gives you permission to tell them, okay? You, you can say, hey, maybe you've wondered why I can be hopeful in such a hard situation. Could I share that with you? Could I buy you a cup of coffee and, and just share why I can have hope even as I'm walking through some of the most difficult circumstances of life, maybe as my marriage is falling apart, maybe as I'm suffering from some, some terrible disease, maybe as you know, this is happening around me or there's been incredible loss. Could I, just, could I just share with you the reason that I have hope in such a hard situation? 
Listen, we heard that this morning in the baptism tank, didn't we? We heard testimony of the reason for the hope that it was in the people that were in that tank this morning, and that hope is Jesus Christ. And he calls us to go and to make disciples. He calls us to go to our family, to our small groups, to our friends, to our coworkers. He calls us to go to even those Facebook-type friends in the Niagara region and Canada and beyond. And he calls us to go as messengers, taking in our hands the gospel of eternal life. The gospel message is so important, so relevant to us this morning. We can't just talk about the gospel and not actually share the gospel this morning. And so I just want to take a second to share the gospel right now. And if you know Jesus Christ, um, two things. One, praise God for the gospel in your own heart this morning. Second thing right now, maybe pray for somebody in the room who doesn't know him as Savior. And if you're here this morning and maybe you've grown up and you've heard the gospel and you've heard biblical truths, but maybe your ears haven't been tuned into it, I would invite you right now just, and I'd even plead with you just to tune in right now to what's going to be said. You're going to hear a lot about discipleship this morning. That's directed to those who know Jesus Christ. But what I'm about to say right now in the next minute is directed to those primarily who don't know Jesus Christ as Savior. So the gospel, the gospel is, you know, we can really break it down quite simply, but ultimately we need to start at the place of creation, don't we? This world is no accident. You heard that in the testimony this morning. That the chances of this world and universe coming about by random chance from nothing is like having a watch, smashing it into pieces, throwing it up in the air, and having it land and still work. Except it's even less likely than that. Because even in that, you're taking a watch, all the components, all the pieces there that fits together and is assembled together, and you're breaking it apart and throwing it together. So there's better chances of taking a watch, smashing it with a sledgehammer, throwing it into the air, and having it land and work than there are of this world, this entire universe, coming about by nothing. Let me tell you this morning, it takes a lot of faith to be an atheist. Everything from nothing, from a bang with no direction. Wow. And scientists will tell us that that they they know that. Can they replicate that? Science, Science is the replicating of events. It's testing a hypothesis. Unless you can replicate it, then you can't prove it in that way. But listen, the gospel starts with creation because the gospel starts with the fact that God spoke into the darkness. God spoke into the nothingness and God's word is powerful enough to make out of nothing things come into being. How awesome is that? And this God that spoke, he spoke into being creation. And at the center of his creation, the focal point of his creation, he created man and he created woman in his image. In his likeness, it says in Genesis that he created them. And he created them to live in relationship with him. It actually says in the beginning of Genesis that God came down and he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. They had a relationship. Wow. But it wasn't long before sin entered into this world. It wasn't long before Satan deceived Adam and Eve and they chose to leave the presence of God. They chose to walk away from him. And as we look around this world today, we can see that stuff's broken, can't we? We don't have to look too far. We see that the world is broken. We see that the political systems that we have are broken. We see that our individual lives are broken. And we can stand and wonder why this is, but it is because sin has entered the world and we're all affected by it. Yes, we are affected by sin, but more importantly than that, each one of us has sin in our own lives. 
And the Bible says very, very clearly that our sins, in fact, cause a separation between us and God. They cause a gulf that cannot be spanned by human effort, by human good works. It is impossible. They cause an eternal, complete separation between us and the living God who desires us to be in right relationship with him. But listen, as we fast forward through the Bible, we read many prophecies about God working to redeem this world, to change this world, and to change lives in this world. And ultimately, all of the Bible, all of the prophecy culminates at this place, and it's coming at Christmas, the Nativity, where God's Son, Jesus Christ, comes into the world as a baby. The perfect God-man, being fully God and fully man, he comes into this world. He lives a perfectly righteous life, something that neither you or me or any of us could ever do. And then ultimately, that life is laid down by his own will and volition. Listen, Jesus wasn't murdered in that sense on the cross. He was, but he laid his life down willingly on the cross. Why? So that he could restore that broken relationship between us and God. So that he could be the bridge that spanned the chasm of our sins. And through faith in him, through turning in repentance, saying, God, I have sinned in many ways against you. God, I've not trusted you. I've not yielded my life to you. I've lived an idolatrous life. I repent of that now. I confess that now. And God, I humbly believe in Jesus Christ. Why? Because on that cross where Jesus died, he took our sins upon him. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree so that we might no longer live to sin, but live to God. How awesome is that? And through faith in him, we can be saved. But listen, the gospel doesn't end with a dead Jesus, does it? We know that on the third day, Jesus rose from the grave. He triumphed over the grave. There is historical, clear historical proof that Jesus Christ died, was in the grave, dead and buried for three Jewish days on the calendar. And on the third day, rose from the grave triumphantly. How awesome is that? And this Jesus who commissions us right here in Matthew 28 is the resurrected Jesus. He is the resurrected Jesus that has triumphed over all of these things and we, through faith in him, can be saved for all of eternity. That's the gospel in a nutshell. As we said earlier, the gospel, the gospel has broader application for all of life, but in a nutshell, in a nutshell, there is no person that will spend eternity in heaven with God apart from the gospel. Why did Jim Elliott, why did Nate Saint and Ed Udarian, or Roger Udarian and Ed McCulley, why did they go to a foreign land? Why did they go? They went because they knew that unless they went and took the gospel, those people would perish. Likewise, unless we receive the gospel for ourselves, we will also perish. But today, Jesus Christ extends his hands with grace and mercy towards you, calling you to repentance and faith this morning and calling us believers in Christ to go on mission for him. Maybe some of you these last weeks have heard the story of a young man named John Allen Chow who was a missionary to North Sentinel. North Sentinel's an island. Um, it's inhabited by a few people, maybe anything from a dozen to a few hundred. They're not really sure. It's part of India, kind of, okay? India doesn't fully want responsibility for it, so they're not really sure on that. But, but this young man, he went, and he went going with the, with the express purpose of taking the gospel to these people. 
Now this island and the people of this island have a long history of being violent towards outsiders. There's some things in their past as a culture that may, that may, have, that may have caused that reaction, but they've been known to kill fishermen who have landed on their shore. They shot a journalist in the leg who was attempting to go there to film a documentary. They're hostile to outsiders. They don't want anyone to come, yet this young man willingly went to this island. He knew that unless these people of North Sentinel, uh, Sentinel heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and received it, that they would be lost and perish for all of eternity. Now, we may disagree with some of John Allen Chow's methodology. We may disagree with his approach. We may be able to sit back in North America in our comfy locations and say, he should have put more thought into it. There should have been more effort. Well, maybe. But listen to what he wrote to his parents while he was there in his journal as he was there trying to reach these people. I read these words this week and they made me cry. I, I wish I had this tenacity to live out the gospel in this way. Listen to what he said. He said, you guys might think I'm crazy in all of this, but I think it's worth it to declare Jesus to these people. Please do not be angry at them or at God if I get killed. Rather, please live your lives in obedience to whatever he has called you to and I will see you again when you pass through this veil. He goes on to say this, this is not a pointless thing. The eternal lives of this tribe are at hand and I can't wait to see them around the throne of God worshiping in their own language as Revelation 7, 9 through 10 states. As he said that, I was so moved because I know what Revelation 7, 9 through 10 says. Look at what it says. It's up on the screen. The Apostle John writes this. He says, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, from all people and languages. That includes the people of North Sentinel. Okay? We got to get that. It includes them. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. In other words, Jonathan Allen Chow understood that God in his providence would somehow reach the people of North Sentinel. Because it says in God's word that every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language will be there around the throne. And he said, God, I'm going to trust you on this one, and I'm going to go. And I don't know if it's going to work, but I am going to go, and I might lose my life in the process. Wow. Wouldn't it be awesome? Wouldn't it be an awesome even legacy to the missionary movement in North America and around the world if his life that he willingly gave sparked a new wave of missionaries who are willing to count the cost, willing to take up their cross, and willing to follow Jesus gladly wherever he led them. This has been the missionary movement of old. This has been what they did. When you moved in the 1600s to China, as Hudson Taylor did somewhere around there, as he moved to China, you packed everything up as you were leaving home. You packed it in a coffin because you knew that when you went, that's the way that you would be coming back. Where is that passion today? Where is that desire to make disciples? Listen, most of us live in our context here in North America, but we need to recognize this, that we have been sent to the people that we rub shoulders with every single day. We may not go to inland China. We may not go to Ecuador. We may not go to one of the remote islands of, in of India. And if we haven't been called there, then we shouldn't go. 
But God has called each one of us right where we are to make disciples for Christ here in our context. Listen, that's the first thing that we need to see this morning. Here's the second one. And the second one will be much quicker than the first, I promise you. Okay? Here we go. Secondly, secondly, as a commissioned follower of King Jesus, what is precious to him will be precious to me. And so therefore, therefore, I will joyfully disciple those entrusted to me. God has entrusted you. If you're a believer in Christ, you've been entrusted with people to disciple. It doesn't matter how old you are. Last week, we talked about some myths of discipleship. Okay, it is a myth to think that you're too young to make disciples. That's just not true. There's no age limit in the Great Commission. It's not there, okay? If, if we are any age and we are a believer in Christ, there is somebody who we can pour into that we can disciple in some way. I'm always so blown away by the fact that we have so many of our young students who are, you know, in grades six through eight that serve and harvest kids regularly and seek to disciple the kids that are there. How amazing is that? Praise God for that. Listen, we are to make disciples. I just want to draw this out. We often, when we come to this passage, we often focus on the go, okay? We hear the go and we're like, we kind of get stuck there. But the, the, the overwhelming power of this passage, the overwhelming focus of this passage isn't actually on the go. Did we know that? The, the overwhelming focus of this passage, the imperative, as, as Greek scholars would say, okay, the imperative in this passage is make disciples. That's the command. Okay, we are commanded by Jesus Christ to make disciples. Go explains that we don't just sit in the church, okay, and wait for them to come to us. We need to get outside these walls. Imagine if Jesus didn't say go in the Great Commission. If he just said, therefore, make disciples, da-da-da-da-da, and went on with it. What do you think would have happened? I bet you that the apostles and everybody would have just huddled in the inner room and just waited there for the, for the, for the people to come to them. Go explains how we go about our mission. And so we are to go, yes, okay, but the main mission is to make disciples. And if that's true, then we should ask the question, what is a disciple? What is a disciple? What does it actually mean to be a disciple of Christ? What does this look like? I love this quote uh, by Robbie Galati in his book, Growing Up, a great book about disciple making. I would recommend it to you. Robbie Galati says this. He said, disciple making is intentionally equipping believers with the word of God through accountable relationships empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to replicate faithful followers of Christ. What a, what a solid, detailed explanation of what it means to make disciples. We are to replicate faithful followers of Christ this is all empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's all empowered by Jesus who goes with us on the mission. And we do this through, through accountable relationships. You ever wonder why we have that really awkward accountability time in our small groups? Okay? Maybe you have. This is why. Because it's part of discipleship. Okay? You ever wonder why we spend so much time in our small groups studying God's word? This is why, because it's part of discipleship. You know, Jesus gets very specific here in the Great Commission, and he doesn't just tell us to go and make disciples, but he actually tells us how we do it in the process. I love that. I love that he commissions us to go out. He gives us motivation in the beginning by saying, my power's going with you. Then, okay, he gives us our mandate, make disciples, and then he gives us the method that we do it through. And he explains it for us. And here it is right here. 
We'll see it up on the screen. First of all, we're to go. We've, we've talked about that quite a bit already, so we won't say much more. But second, in here, we are to baptize. As people come to put their faith in Jesus Christ, and they will come to put their faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus has promised that. His power and his presence goes with us. It is he who is discipling people through us and drawing them to himself. How awesome is that? Okay, so when they come to trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are to baptize them. Then, from there, we are to teach them. What do we teach them? Well, we teach them to observe everything that Jesus has commanded. That could be a thousand sermons in itself. What does that mean? That's basically every sermon that you'll hear here at Harvest Niagara is teaching us to observe what Jesus Christ has commanded because that is one of the marks of discipleship. So disciples go, disciples baptize, okay, and disciples get baptized. Then they teach and they teach others to observe what has been commanded. And then this last part right here, repeat. The process repeats, okay? It repeats again. So those disciples that go out and they disciple others, they then send them out to make disciples. Do we get that? Let's just do a little bit of math here real quick, okay? You're like, math, early on a Sunday morning, no, okay? If we have two people going out to make disciples, as the biblical pattern is, two going at a time together, okay? They go out and they meet two other people, okay? And they become disciples of Christ. How many do we have? Four, Four. good, you guys are smart. Okay, good, 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 okay? And then those two go out, and these two go out again, and they each meet two more people. How many do we have? Eight. Eight. Good. Okay. Okay. That's as far as my math limit's going to take me this morning, all right? But you get the picture, all right? Okay? We're going. We're multiplying as we go. The disciples that we make go out and make disciples. Now, let's just back up one slide here. None of this is new to you, but what happens if we take away that last part of the process? Does it work? No, it's broken. Unfortunately, in a lot of the church in North America, may it never be here in our church, okay, we have people that are going, we have baptisms happening, we have teaching happening, but is that next generation then going out to make disciples? In a lot of the North American church, it's not. The process is broken. When a disciple is made, they will desire to make disciples. That's the pattern that Jesus gives us. That's the way that it works, okay? If that doesn't happen, then the discipleship is not complete. There needs to be something more done. They need to be sent. They need to be moved to get going on the Great Commission. Let's put it back up again with the last slide so that we have all of the parts there. The cycle is repeated. It's repeated over and over and over again. And this is Jesus' plan to get his name, to get his gospel, to get his glory to the outermost ends of the earth. And that will happen, and he will do it through his church. Do we get that this morning? Do we understand that Jesus, his name will be proclaimed to the Elka people in Ecuador. His name will be proclaimed in China, which it is being proclaimed right now. It will be proclaimed to the outer islands of India. His name will be proclaimed there, and he will have a people from among every tribe and tongue and nation gathered around the throne in glory, worshiping his name. And his name will be known to all people and believed on by all people groups. Why? Because his church will go. 
they'll go. So the only question this morning really for us is whether we will go. Will we go this morning? Will we go to the people that we know in our family, our friends, our small group around us in Niagara? Will we go to short-term missions that go down into the States, that go to the northern parts of Ontario, that maybe go across the world? Will we even go long-term if he calls us? God's name, Jesus' name, will be made known to the outermost ends of the world because his church will go. Will we go today? Will we take the name of Jesus Christ across the world? Will we take the name of Jesus Christ across the street to our neighbor? Will we show the love of Christ? Will we proclaim his truth? And then, will we teach them to observe all that has been commanded and then send them out as we have been sent out? Listen, this morning, there's so much more that we could say about this passage We could focus in on baptism this morning. Baptism is so essential. I don't think we need to focus on it too much this morning because you saw it here first thing. You saw the joy and the fear on the faces of those people in the tank this morning. But you also know how those baptisms stirred up your own heart this morning. We are to baptize because that is the sign, the outward sign of internal faith. We baptize who? We baptize believers. Okay? The Bible never promotes baptizing unbelievers. It's always believers that are being baptized, and it is a sign, as Andy so clearly explained this morning, that you have died to yourself, and you have been raised to walk in the newness of life. We go, we baptize, and then we teach. We teach others to observe all that Christ has commanded, and then we help them go and make disciples. And so the question that we're left with this morning is whether we ourselves will go, whether we ourselves will do what the Lord has called us. Listen. As a commissioned follower of King Jesus, what is precious to him will be precious to me. What is precious to Christ, if you're his follower, will be precious to you. If it's not precious to you right now, you need to pray and you need to repent. Why? Because if it's not precious, it's sin that's blocking the view. It's self-centeredness. It's it's me-centered Christianity. You need to confess that to him. You need to repent of it. If there's no desire in your heart to make disciples whatsoever, that is something to be confessed and repented of. And then you need to ask him to fuel your heart the way that some of those missionaries and disciple makers of old and even modern day were fueled. Listen, as a commissioned follower of King Jesus, what is precious to him will be precious to me. Let me just close with this quote. Do we understand, do we know how much we miss out on if we leave Jesus' mission on the table. Listen to what John Piper says. If we as a church are disobedient, it is not ultimately the cause of God and the cause of world missions that we'll lose. We will lose. God's counsel will stand and he will accomplish all his purposes. His triumph is never in question, only our participation in it. It is our incalculable loss. If we won't go, it's our loss. Jesus' mission won't fail. He's guaranteed it. Will we go? Will we go with boldness? Will we go with gladness to those that he has sent us to? Let's pray. Father God, we've heard a lot this morning, but Lord, we pray more than anything that your mission would stick in our hearts 
that we would have a longing, Lord, to reach the lost, that we would have a longing to disciple those who are new in faith, Lord, that we would have a longing, Lord, to see more baptisms here in this place, more people, Lord, that are confessing faith in Jesus Christ. Father, I just want to pray over those who are baptized this morning, Lord, would you lead them in strength, Lord, to help them to go out to be disciple makers, Lord. In whatever capacity you call them, Lord, lead them in that this morning. But God, I also want to pray over those that are here this morning that don't know you. Lord, I even pray as this service closes, Lord, would they just remember the words of the gospel that Christ himself gave himself for sinners like us so that we could be saved for all of eternity, so that we could live with purpose on mission for the king. Oh, Lord, would you make that known to us, Lord? Would you help us, Lord? We need your help. We need your presence, Lord. Would you help us as we seek to make disciples for your glory? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.